So we are continuing this morning in our series, Animal Encounters. This is our second week, and I'm really excited about it. But before we dive into that, let's just go ahead and pray real quick. We'll pray over this sermon. Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody that's here. Um, God, we, uh, we, we do love you so much, Lord, and knowing how much you love us is just amazing, God. And I, I, I'm just so thankful for all that you have done in my life and all that you're doing in our church, Lord. I pray that you bless this text that we're going to be going over this sermon, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just use this time in a real powerful way. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just give me um, all humility and um, your Spirit's power to just preach this message. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. This morning's message is titled, She Bears. And uh, I love the term, She Bears. Some translations have said, uh, like, female bears, but that's not anywhere as cool or tough sounding as she bears just the term she bears like almost makes me shake in my boots a little bit anybody else like it's like this tough mama bear that you do not want to mess with and so we're in this series animal encounters and we're looking at um encounters with animals in scripture and we're looking at the truths that we can learn from these stories um so this week we're looking at two she bears who attack some people some youths. And uh, let's just go ahead and read the text real quick, and we'll get started. Uh, when I said to Josh that I was going to be teaching this message, he was like, I don't know how you're going to do that. <laughs> He's like, I just don't know where you possibly are going to go with this. So Josh, you're about to find out. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Second Kings chapter 2, um, verse 23 is our text for today. We'll start there. He went up from there to Bethel. All right, let's, who? Who are we talking about? Elisha is who we're talking about. Elisha had just taken over the ministry um, as really the main prophet in Israel. His predecessor, his mentor, Elijah, had just been taken up into heaven um, on a chariot of fire, right? And Elisha witnessed this, and because he witnessed it, he was given the he was given a double portion of Elijah's ministry and his power. So Elijah, Elisha is this man we're reading about here, and he is the most influential, most important prophet in all of Israel at the time. This is during the time of the kings. This is when Israel is a full-fledged nation, actually a fairly powerful nation in the world. And he is a prophet. He's kind of He's doing his best to keep these kings in check and to follow God's word. The role of a prophet was to keep the people following God's word. So he went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, saw, uh, or sorry, while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. At first glance, well, at first glance, this is probably every bald person's favorite passage, right? Because I think that they're like, don't make fun of me. You don't know what God does to people who make fun of bald people. Let me tell you. <laughs> right? uh, there's a, we'll discuss more um, that's going on here in a moment. But at first glance, it just kind of seems like a respect your leaders, respect your elders kind of PSA, right? Like, a, like a, just this threatening, kind of unrealistic 
don't mess with your leaders, be respectful, PSA. It reminds me of the Alamo Draft House don't talk or text PSAs. You guys ever go to Alamo Draft House and you see these before the film? Uh, they had this exaggerated, hilarious threat. Like, if you talk or text, this horrible thing is going to happen to you. Um, I, I went on YouTube and watched a bunch of them. These were some of my favorites. Uh, don't talk or text or Danny DeVito will find you and cut your tongue out. Uh, every time you talk or text, Spider-Man kills James Franco's father. You talk, you text, you terrorize Tokyo, Godzilla will rip your guts out. Um, and my personal favorite, don't talk or text, Luke, or Luke Skywalker will unleash an entire secret service made up of insane clowns brandishing lightsabers, and he will have them completely destroy you. <laughs> now, I personally love these Alamo Draft House, don't talk or text PSAs, and I feel as though this text could just be kind of viewed as one of those, and just we just flip the page, go, I don't really know what that's talking about. That's a weird story in the Bible. Let's move on. But I actually believe there's a lot more going on in this text, and so we're going to take a closer look at it. It says he went up from there to Bethel, so he's, he's on his journey towards Bethel, and Bethel was a, an extremely pagan city. They were the center of calf worship. And so this was a very ungodly city. This was a group of people who had no respect for God, and they just in general um, were really at the center of a lot of pagan practices. So he's on his way to this very ungodly city. And while he's on his way, some small boys, ESV, though I love ESV's translation here where it says she bears, small boys is actually a very poor translation for the Hebrew word there. The term is youths, and in scripture it is used for um, people from anywhere between the age of 10 and 39 in scripture. Um, So to translate it as small boys is um, a little bit inaccurate. Uh, The best Really, uh, translation would probably be youths or something like that. It was probably most commonly used um, for teenagers. So these are probably um, kids between the age of 12 and and almost 20. Um, This was a group of unruly teenagers. It says only tells us that there were 42 that were tore, right? Uh, That didn't mean the bears killed them. It just means that the bears wounded them or mauled them. Um, And it says 42 of them. This is a mob. This is a mob of, I'm guessing, over 100 teenagers um, ambushing God's prophet on the way to Bethel. And they're yelling at him, go up, you bald head. And so it seems like they're just calling him bald. And Elisha reacts in a really strong manner. Um, But it's interesting here. They're saying, go up. Um, And uh, it was well known already that Elijah had ascended into heaven, his predecessor. And so they're actually, at very least, they're mocking the miraculous work of God in taking Elijah Elijah up into heaven. So they're not just calling Elisha bald. They're at least, at very least, also mocking God's work in Elijah's life by taking him up to heaven, the, the miracle that happened there. And they possibly could actually be threatening Elisha's life. Saying, like, you better go up to heaven, Elisha. This is a mob threatening him. So they're at least mocking God's work there, maybe even threatening his life. Like, you better ascend to heaven because we're going to kill you. Could be um, the way that this could be understood. So it makes it a little bit uh, less intense. And then let's really, like, like, explore this. So 
Elisha responds, I believe in self-defense. He curses this boy, bo- these boys, he, these youths, and two she-bears, um, they're probably brown bears, come out of the woods, and they start attacking, and 42 of the boys are, are mauled. Okay, that might seem really intense, but let's talk about that for a second. Let's say you're in a group of 100 people and two bears show up. Show up. What is the actual likelihood that you're going to get um, mauled? If you had any sort of brain, uh, you would just start running, right? But what I read from this text and what I see here is that they were probably messing with the bears or trying to fight them. How else could the, these two bears actually harm 42 of them? Um, they're not that fast. I mean, at most, if all the kids ran, the most of these bears are going to get is like two to five. So they must have stood around. They probably were messing with the bears, trying to fight the bears, and 42 of them end up being harmed. And then he just keeps going his way. And that's the end of the text. And so the application from this text, in, in my view, is that God does want us to be respectful of authority, respectful of leaders, respectful of prophets. Um, God actually takes respect for authority pretty seriously in the scripture. Um, In the Bible, it continually talks about how children should be respectful and honor their parents. In Ephesians 6, there's um, even, it appears to be a promise for long life to children who obey their parents um, that could be some kind of spiritual promise. It also just might be an extremely natural thing. Like a lot of the things I tell Lincoln not to do is me literally trying to save his life and like keep him alive, right? Like your parents say, don't run into the street, right? They're trying to save your life. Uh, your parents say, don't jump off the roof onto the trampoline. Don't jump onto the moving train. All of these things were things I did. But my parents did tell me not to do them. I just did do them. And by God's grace, I'm still alive. So, he tells us to respect our parents. Um, The Bible throughout tells us to respect those of older age, to listen to their wisdom, their wise counsel, their experience, to take it seriously, not be so arrogant, assuming that you know better all the time. So respecting those of older age, the Bible tells us that a lot. Scripture tells us to respect our governments, and it even tells us that they're there for general good. Um, governments in the world, in general, not all, accomplish good. They protect the innocent, they fight evil, they provide safety, and many other things. In general, um, government is good, and we are to respect those in authority. Um, the Bible tells us to just respect others in general. Right? Just other people, to honor them more than yourself, the Bible says, to put them first and yourself second in your relationship, to um, be humble and self sacrificing towards others, to have respect for others. The Bible, even as I really believe, tells us to be respectful towards animals, which I don't believe that these teenagers were. I think they were trying to mess with these two bears when they just should have ran. Um, and then more than that, and, and really our main point, the Bible tells us that we need to respect spiritual leadership in our in our lives and that's really what we're going to spend the majority of our our time talking about today now i understand as a pastor um preaching a sermon on respecting spiritual authority it could come across as a little bit like either arrogant or desperate (laughs) right like you guys i just really need you to respect me or you better respect me um 
And that is not why I'm teaching this message. I'm teaching this message because it's a spiritual truth that is really important. And, and it is really important that we have spiritual authorities in our lives. And that goes for me as well as the pastor of this church. I still have um, people that speak into my life. When I have ideas or questions or things I'm unsure of or problems arise that I, in our church and I don't know what to do, I have people that I go to and that I go to and get advice from, to get prayer from. And so I would say even myself, I am still under um, some spiritual authority, even though I'm a pastor of a church. I still put myself under spiritual authority because I see the importance of it. And so even though I'm a pastor, I'm telling you right now, I'm not above this. But it's a need that we all have, and that need is there to be spiritual authority in our life. So I want to talk about three things. Um, I want to talk about the type of person that should be in spiritual Um, authority. I want to talk about the purpose of having spiritual authority. And lastly, what our really our reaction should be to spiritual authority in our lives. The first is really important um, because not just anybody should be in spiritual leadership. Um, The Bible is really clear about the type of people he wants in leadership. Um, I'm going to read Honestly, there's a lot of scripture on this subject of spiritual authority. God actually talks about it a lot in the Bible. So I'm going to give us kind of a broad overview. This is by no means um, a complete view of all spiritual leadership in the church. There's a lot of directions we could go. So I'm going to just kind of give a broad overview. An important text is in 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul tells Timothy the qualifications that he should look for in people he's going to appoint over churches. So this would be a pastoral role. And Paul makes it really clear what his um, qualifications are. There's a lot we could dive into this. Again, we're just going to kind of overview it and get the idea of the type of person that, that God's looking for to lead. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so Paul puts some pretty serious qualifications out there and says, um, the men who are going to lead churches need to meet these qualifications. Now I would say that not only people desiring the office of an overseer should try to meet these qualifications, all believers should really try to meet these qualifications, whether or not you want to be in ministry. These are just good qualifications of spiritual maturity. These are just signs of somebody who's being sanctified in Christ to look more like Christ day after day. These are people who are growing up in the faith. And so I would say that This is really something we should all aspire to, not just people who want to be in ministry, but we should all look at these and say, I want to grow in the Lord to look more and more like this. Ultimately, this is a humble 
um, loving, caring, unselfish person. And, and it's great. One verse I want to read on this topic of the type of person is an important one where Jesus contrasts, contrasts how leaders should act in churches versus how leaders act in the world. And that's Matthew twenty twenty five. Jesus called them to him. And he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love this scripture because Jesus just flips it on his head. It's completely different than the way the world views it. The world views it is make your way as high as you can so you can be on top, you can be above authority, and you can just kind of rule and dominate over others. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. The leaders in our church need to be servants. They need to be those who have the heart of Christ, who though he was God, he was equal with God the Father He still came down and he humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross, to serve and to be the slave of all in that moment. And that's the type of leadership we look for, is those who truly um, are humble and who are servants, who are not looking to rule over others with a um, domineering sort of authority, but those who are there to serve it kind of brings me to the next part here. We have men who we, we need uh, leaders who are of great reputation, who are loving, who are humble. But then we still have to answer the question, why do we even need spiritual leaders? Why can't we just kind of all be a happy family? No, nobody needs to be the leader. Um, the Bible gives us a lot of reasons why he put spiritual leaders in place and why he talks about them in Scripture so much and why um, the qualifications are so serious. Acts 20, I believe, is a really great text. It says, uh, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So he tells them to be careful and watch themselves, like keep themselves, um, hold themselves accountable hold themselves to a high standard. And then the reason is that God has purchased the church with his own blood. He's paid the highest possible price. That means the church is the most valuable thing to him. And so he puts um, leaders in charge to watch over them because he cares for them. So we need spiritual leaders because God cares about his church. And wants there to be those who can watch over them and, and, and guide them towards the ways of God. You know, this idea of watching over and protecting is one that's common um, for leadership. It's, it's called shepherding. Um, G- Jesus, in his restoring of Peter, um, tells Peter to tend to his sheep. Peter had denied Christ three times. He denied Christ three times, and Jesus dies, and then he rises from the dead. And Peter and Jesus are face-to-face now after this resurrection. It's kind of an awkward moment, especially for Peter, knowing that he denied his Savior, who now sits right before him. 
And Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, tend to my sheep, tend to my sheep, tend to my flock. He reinstates Peter, even though Peter had denied Christ. And I like that for a lot of reasons. One, because it shows the heart of a leader, which is to tend to God's church, to tend to the sheep, to protect them, to care for them, to love them. But I also like it because Jesus reinstates Peter, even though Peter denied him. And what I take from that is it doesn't matter what was in your past. In a certain sense, God doesn't do a background check. Now, we as a church do, <laughs> right? Well, like especially with children and stuff, we're like we're we're concerned about that. And I'm not saying background checks are bad, but I'm saying God doesn't look at your background and say you're disqualified. He says, okay, what have you done now to be sanctified? How are you growing? It doesn't matter where you came from, but where you're going. And He says, I'm gonna reinstate Peter because he saw where Peter was going to go with his life. And ultimately, Peter would not deny Christ. He would instead be crucified for Christ. And so maybe you're like, I just feel like there's too much crap in my, in my past. There's too much that I regret back there. I just could never be a leader. I can never aspire to ministry because of the things that I've done. And I would say to you, wrong. A lot of people who God uses in, scriptures, in Scripture had a lot of messed up stuff in their past. And yet they grew, they repented, they moved forward, and over time God used them for great things as they gave themselves over to him completely. And so I love that. But the purpose of leadership is that we would tend to his flock. Peter, later on, years later, he writes in his epistle this, 1 Peter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as an as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That is especially for leaders, too. And not just the entire church, but God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. He says here that the shepherds, the leaders of the flock, they should do so humbly, not in a domineering manner, but, but eagerly and with the right intention, ultimately being examples to the flock. And that when the main shepherd comes back, I mean, that's a, that's a scary thought. The main shepherd comes back, he's going to judge the work that the leaders did. He's going to look at how the leaders tended to his flock, um, and they have to give account. We'll talk about that in a moment here. God truly states that there should be spiritual leadership, and the spiritual leadership keeps the church on track. And so, let's talk about what should be our response to spiritual leadership. I believe the scriptural response is to be covered by authority. Um, The Bible kind of talks about it as a covering Right? You think of going into shelter to be protected from the elements, right? You, you get covered by spiritual authority in your life. Um, 
I'm going to skip down. Let's go to Acts 14. I want to read this really hilarious story in Acts where Paul speaks to a group of people in Lystra and he gets two reactions to the authority. He gets two reactions to the ministry. And it's honestly pretty darn funny. Acts 14, verse 8. So this is Paul and Barnabas. They're on their first missionary journey. They get to this place, this to Lystra, and they start preaching to them. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And the crowd saw what Paul had done. They lift up their voice saying in uh, Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of man. So he's preaching and then he sees this guy and he's like, That guy wants to be healed. He has the faith to be healed. He heals him right then and there. Everybody freaks out and they're like, The gods have come down from heaven. And the likeness of man, and it says Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest, uh, uh, and the priest of Zeus, who, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, and wanted to sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, "Man, we are." Why are you doing this? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he has allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering a sacrifice to them. So these people see this miracle and they just want to worship them as gods. Paul and Barnabas rightfully tear their clothes and say, please do not do this. This is exactly what we're preaching against. Please do not contradict our message by then worshiping us. But look at this next verse. But Jews came from Antioch and um, Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. The same crowds, okay? The Jews came in and persuaded these same people who were worshiping Paul and Barnabas, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. The same crowd one day is worshiping and sacrificing oxen to Paul, and the next day they take him out and stone him. Isn't that insane? Here's the thing. There's two reactions to leadership oftentimes. To lift them too high up or to disregard them altogether. And this crowd did both in in a matter of 24 hours. They did both in a matter of 24 hours. Now we do see this. Like like I said before, not all um, authority in our lives is always good, right? There's not all parents are good parents. Not all governments are good governments. Not all old people are wise (laughs) <laughs> right? Uh, not all people are deserving of respect, even though we should still respect them. You see, uh, and not all spiritual leaders are deserving of authority or respect either. But in general, these are good things. And, and so we see something happen. Is even in good leadership, sometimes the people just respond in a wrong manner. 
They respond by lifting these people up way higher than they ever should. Or they completely disregard them and almost want a kind of an anarchy against spiritual leadership in the church. And both are really bad. And we see both in culture today. We see churches where um, they're lifted up almost to a level where they're being worshipped by the congregation. And that's unhealthy because... Ultimately, leaders in the church are there to point you towards Jesus. They're there to keep you on track in your relationship with Jesus. They are not there themselves to be receiving glory or to be receiving worship. They are simply there to point you in the right direction. Now, we also have people in churches, and I feel like I run into this sometimes too, um, in, in my experience in, in churches before and everything, are people who just don't want leadership at all, and I kind of wonder why they go to church then. Because they just come to church and go, screw the leaders, we need to just do this or that. And it's like they just come in and cause problems. And it's like, why are you even going to a church that has leaders if you don't believe in leaders? Please just leave. <laughs> Both responses are wrong. The right response is what they do anyways. Let's continue reading. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went out with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city, they had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that though many tribulations uh, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The thing is, even though those in Lystra completely responded to leadership in the wrong way, there still needed to be leadership. And they come back and they appoint elders who meet the qualification of being a humble, loving person meeting all the qualifications that Paul listed before in these different cities to lead these people, to continually point these people to Jesus, to keep these people on track, not to be worshipped or stoned, hopefully. Right? And that kind of brings me to my main and only point is that I just don't want to be stoned. <laughs> we'll talk about drugs later. <laughs> Um, so our response to leadership needs to be res- to respect the role, to respect the person, but not to worship them or to be- to rebel either. Um, Hebrews thirteen. Um, you know, I think that leaders and those who are just in the congregation both hate this verse. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Some of you read that verse and you go, I have to obey the leaders in our church and submit to them. That sounds pretty intense. As much as maybe you don't like the sound of that, I don't like the sound of this. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. That would be of no advantage to you. Right, So as much as you're like, I don't want to submit to you, I'm like, I don't want to answer for you. <laughs> like, I don't want to be held accountable for your actions, and unfortunately I have to be. And so that's why I do take my role as a pastor seriously. I do pray for you. Um, you know, Melissa and I, even we, every message that, we, uh, that I speak and every song that she sings, we pray over these things because 
they're important, you know, in every community group, we pray for them, and we, we check in in all the community groups and make sure what they're teaching is good, and we really do care, like, we really do um, hope to get to heaven and not get lectured for too long <laughs> uh, when we're giving an account for how we um, led this church, and, and uh, but ultimately, there should be a good relationship between leadership and the flock. There should be a good relationship between leaders in the church and, and those who are in the church. And that's one that is, is full of joy, not groaning, and one that is advantageous to the congregation. When you have good, solid leaders, and you have a congregation who sees the importance of good, solid leaders, what you have is actually a congregation that's growing that's, that's being tended to, that's being loved, that's being protected from, from bad doctrine, that's being prayed over in, their, in, in all aspects of their life. And more than that, the Bible says that, um, that the leaders are there to equip the saints. So you're being protected, you're being loved, you're being nurtured, and you're also being equipped for ministry. You're growing, you're being sanctified. It should be advantageous. Ideally, good leadership with a congregation who wants it actually is a group of people who all grow and are um, impactful in their city and in their mission to get the gospel out there. When you have a leader who's continually pointing people to Jesus and not to himself, things should go well, and people who see the importance of that. Now we're going to read a couple more verses. Uh, This next one is, like, honestly, like, these verses are hard for me to read because... Um, I am the leader, and I realize that like reading these can come across wrong. Um, but I'll give you my interpretation of this verse and from my own experience. 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. You can go a lot of directions with that verse, and they're probably all good. But let me just tell you from my own personal life. The men in my life that I have seen lead well, who preach consistently, who love earnestly, who are humble honestly. Um, When I need advice in my life, their opinion carries a lot more than double. Those men, when I ask certain questions, I take them a lot more seriously than other people. Because I've witnessed them lead well. I've witnessed them love well. And so when I see it's done well, trust me, their opinion means a lot more to me. And that's one form of giving more honor. Um, This could probably be applied to other things as well, but we don't really have time to go through all of that. But good leaders are deserving of at least some respect. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. I believe the NIV says to appreciate those. Um, And I can tell you that I stand here today ultimately by the work of God, but God used a lot of important people in my life. Men who continually pointed me to Jesus, men who called me out for my weaknesses, and men who spoke against my, um, or spoke and realized my strengths and spoke against my weaknesses and called me out for, for my mistakes, called me out for things that I was doing wrong. And I am so thankful for those people in my life. But here's the thing. I know there's a lot of bad leaders, too. And I know some of you are sitting here saying, well, you, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't, you don't know what I've witnessed in the church. And I would say, well, you probably haven't talked to me about it. 
I last night was like trying to decide how much I should go into detail about this, but um, I'm not going to go full-fledged. But basically, from the age of 16 to 21, I had four pastors in my life all in a row who basically failed. In a very, and those are like very formative years. These are the years where I began to have passion for ministry. I wanted to go to Bible college, and um, the senior pastor when I was in high school fell into sin and was removed from the church. The youth pastor who was so important in my life took over and destroyed the church with bad doctrine. The youth pastor who took over his position, who I interned under, um, and that former youth pastor, neither one of them are walking with the Lord today, and the church is closed. So that was three. And then I helped out with a church plant in Austin, the first one I helped out with. And that man had some serious sin issues that came to light. And, and that church plant disappeared very quickly. So four in a row for me. Um, so when you say you don't, you don't know what you're talking about, Stephen, leaders are often bad. I say, no, I know what I'm talking about. And here's the thing. Those men were disqualified from ministry, but it didn't disqualify the ministry that they had in my life. They were disqualified, but they spoke truth during that time. They, they spoke into me. They, they, call, they called me out for things, and they um, also saw potential in me for ministry and raised me up during that time, encouraged me to go to Bible college, um, got me hungry for church planning. Yet they themselves were disqualified. They're, I don't believe that their ministry was, and we do that often, right? We hear of a person... You hear it all the time. He makes news, especially when it's a big church. And, and they, some crazy sin happens. And what happens is we then want to discredit everything that person's ever done or ever said. And it's, it's understandable, but it's not the right response. Because God uses broken people for ministry. And when, when things happen, they certainly should be disqualified. They should be removed from positions. But it doesn't mean that God wasn't using them before. And I've learned that <laughs> over that time. And the last six, seven years of my life, I've been under really good leadership. And, um, and I'm very thankful for that. But I also am thankful for how God used those other men in my life. Um, and so leadership in the church is a weird and difficult thing. And I understand that there's probably been hurt in this room. There's been disappointment in this room. Here's the thing. is uh, I certainly hope to never be disqualified from ministry. But even in minor ways, even the good leaders in my life, they disappointed me in ways. I had leaders in my life who were great men, they were, even women. And they, they were never disqualified from ministry. But I didn't always get the time I thought I needed. They didn't always give me the best advice <laughs> you know, as even the good ones aren't perfect. And if we're looking for leaders who are perfect, you won't find it. And that's because leaders are there to be pointing you to Jesus. They are not there to be in and of themselves your answer. They're not to be your savior. They're not to be your hope. They're simply to be a sign who keeps pointing you to Jesus and keeps pointing you to scripture. But you do need that. So you don't need them as your savior. You don't need them as your God. But you also can't just completely abandon them and throw them out and stone them either. You do need them to point you to Jesus. And that's what we want for our church is leaders who continually point people to Jesus. So we talked about some she bears and I think we learned some good lessons, right, y'all? Because the Bible says that all scripture is profitable and good for teaching. So um, let's go ahead and pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a couple brown bears that teach us a lesson on authority, teach us a lesson on respect, a, a lesson on the importance of leadership. God, I pray that myself as the leader of this church would uh, continually seek you, continually um, cast away pride and selfishness, God. Um, Lord, I pray if there are areas that I am blind to where I am weak, that you would um, bring those to light and allow me to grow and lead this church as well as I can. Lord, I pray that those who in this room who want to aspire to leadership, God, I pray that you would um, just give them humble and loving hearts, Lord. God, we, we want to see a church that is thriving, a church that is advantageous for this city and for your mission, God. Um, Lord, we pray that you would lead us in all these areas, that all of us would aspire to, to grow and to be spiritually mature and to live out the calling that you have for us. And those who are to be appointed in different leadership positions, God, we pray that those would come to light and that you would do an amazing um, work. Um, Lord, I pray that you would protect us. Um, I pray that you would protect me and other leaders we have in this church, Lord, from the... Um, devil from the entrapment that he tries to get us in, Lord. Um, I pray that you protect us all from that and also the leaders. In Jesus' name we do pray.